It's good to see you here on this Sunday night, and my heart is very burdened with a message that I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart for you guys. I know it's a Sunday night. I know we've been in services all through the weekend and had an overflow of just good word and good spirit and good fellowship, and, um, and sometimes we get to that climax, and then we want to kind of relax and then just think, you know, we've, had, we've got our bellies full, but tonight I feel like that the Lord is going to challenge us to let ourselves be stretched a little bit. Um, I know that I can speak for myself. I can't speak for all of you, but how many has ever over ate before? Come on. If you've done it in the natural, why can't we do it in the spiritual? Why is it that we just get a little tummy full and we say, well, I got to digest that. I'll just take my ease on that. And yet we go to certain pizza places or our favorite food places and we just gorge. We just, you know, we just keep eating and eating until you turn out looking like me. But, uh, Nevertheless, I want you to let the Lord speak to you in a special way tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. And while you're turning there, I'll be doing this on a Sunday morning as well. I so appreciate the staff of this church and all of the hard work that they put into the Real Men's Conference, the hours, the hard work, the planning, the, the praying, the the organization, the, I mean, there's just things that go on that no one, you know, you just don't have a clue until you sit back and watch behind the scenes of the things that it takes just to put on an event. I want to thank our associate pastor, Randy West, who's the creator of it, who's the brains of it, who's the heartbeat of it. And then I tell you, Mike and Zach and Steve and Terry and Melody and all, all the staff just went over and beyond to make things happen. Our volunteers that came in uh, and worked also. And then the volunteers that worked that day, from the cooking of the meat to the serving of people to all of the different um, positions and, and that was out. I mean, there were people working everywhere. Uh, could we give them all a great big hand of appreciation tonight? I, I tell you, it's just amazing. Amen. There was a couple of times I seen Mike Lampkin, and I looked at him, and I could see it on him. I said, Mike, go sit down for me. He was getting too hot. Oh, I got too much to do, and he was just pushing and pushing. And that's dedication. That's commitment. A lot of times we don't always brag on people or give honor where honors do. But, and again, you know, it's not just that event didn't just happen within a three-week planning session. That started in the heart of your associate pastor months and months out. And, uh, we battled some obstacles this year. To be honest with you, it was one of the hardest fought men's conferences that we've ever had because of circumstances and uh, had to switch uh, speakers in midstream. And at the last minute, I was able to call Brother Ofield and, and by his kindness at a last minute invitation, being the second chose, he, uh, he said, well, most certainly I'll come. And uh, we just absolutely... We're blessed by him. How many enjoy Brother Ofield? Amen. Did you enjoy him? I've enjoyed being with him, and it was a God thing because I believe he spoke into my life, and I, I believe the Lord used me to speak into his life over some things. We had some real deep talks, and uh, we're going to be meeting with him, and uh, uh, we're going to be talking with him. We're going to start sharing more, and um, we're kind of going to become these uh, two uh, people that I believe is going to sharpen each other. Amen. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. If you'd stand for the reading of the word, please. But thou 
Bethlehem Euphrates. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler of Israel. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she shall travail, until the time that she which travaileth have brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Let me read it again, the children of Israel. But thou Bethlehem Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth have brought forth. Then the remnant of his brothers shall return unto the children of Israel. Before you're seated, I want to do our declaration, if they can put that up on the board. We have not done that this morning. I let that slip through my mind with everything that was going on. But would you do the declaration with me tonight? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. But we, we are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give the Lord praise in his house tonight. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the two verses of scripture that I read to you is actually a prophecy that was given concerning the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was given more than 700 years before his actual birth would actually even take place. When Herod, you remember when Herod in the New Testament demanded information concerning where Christ would be born because he was wanting to kill him and he wanted to find out where he was at. The chief priest and the scribes referred him to these very scriptures that I just read. Verse 2 of our text reveals to us the actual place of Christ's birth. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he, talking about Christ, come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth has been from old and from everlasting. This prophecy is so unique because it goes into such detail. Not only does it reveal the exact location of Christ's birth, but it also reveals how God sometimes uses the least likely to bring about the most important. It reveals the Messiah's birth, his destiny, and his eternity. There were two insignificant towns in Israel that bore this name Bethlehem. One was in the north, about six miles southeast of Mount Carmel, and the area belonging to the tribe of Zebulun. The other was approximately six miles southwest of Jerusalem in the area belonging to Judah. And the place that Christ would come forth is addressed as Bethlehem, which means the house of David, and Ephrati, which means fruitful. And we know where the house of David was at. So this is to show us clearly that Bethlehem of Judea was to be the birthplace of the Messiah, King Jesus. He would not come from the Bethlehem north, north uh, west or east of Mount Carmel, but it would come of that area around the area southeast of Jerusalem in that place where it was belonged to the tribe of Judah. So we see that Jesus Christ comes out from the tribe of Judah, Judah meaning praise. We've heard that preached, that God manifests his son through praise, amen? If you want the manifestations of Jesus Christ in a given service, then praise him. 
praise him because he inhabits the praises of his people. Can I have an amen? When his name is spoken and when his name is worshiped, I want to tell you he manifests himself. So right now with me, would you just lift your hand and would you give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords some praise because God manifests and inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise him, he cannot help but manifest himself. Can I have an amen? Oh, we magnify you tonight, Lord, and we extol thee and we praise you. Father, tonight we just want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and give him all honor and glory and praise due to his name. And all the people with a shout say, Amen. 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 But this was the place, Bethlehem, that was not esteemed or regarded very highly among the Jews. It was a place of low estate because it was the place of the fallen dynasty of David. It was the place that represented defeat, failure, sin, weakness, and destruction among one of the greatest kings that they ever had. It was at the obscure village that would come forth the most prominent one, the one that would rule not only Israel, but would end up ruling over the earth. Can I remind you that we not, might not be the most prominent people or the most likely church for God to do his most prominent work in? It may be true us here at the Palace of Praise might not be the most educated people, the most knowledgeable people. We may also It may also be true that we're not the most talented or gifted and delicate people that there is upon the earth. We may lack in charisma uh, and our manners may... Our, our manners may not meet the high standards of the upper elite. Our speech may not be eloquent and articulate, and we may not speak fluent, fluently, that's for sure, here at the Palace of Praise. Our past may reveal one failure, one weakness, one mistake, one right after another, because God knows that in our history we've made a lot of those. But though Bethlehem of Judah was the place of the fallen dynasty of David, and its past was taunted, and though despised among the people, rejected as important, and even though there was thousands more prominent than itself, yet this was the place that God chose to do his most prominent work. And I want to tell this congregation something. God's not looking for superstars. He's not looking for super studs. He's looking for common, ordinary people. Can I have an amen? He's looking for fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip. He's looking for tax collectors like Matthew and whom Jesus wasn't even to fellowship according to the custom. He was to have no dealings with the tax collectors. And yet he made him one of his disciples. Look at what 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 says. We quote it quite a bit around here. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring about things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I am here to tell you tonight, we have to realize that it is Jesus that qualifies the unqualified. In our weakness, he is made strong. In our inadequacies, he is the efficient one. God is just looking for a people that come and know and understand that they cannot do anything without him. Can I tell you, God just seems to say to me here tonight, I am going to do my 
my greatest work through the most unlikely. Those that have been mocked and ridiculed and despised, rejected and made fun of, the misfits of society is the ones that you better keep your eyes upon But because it's through them and by them that God is going to deposit his glory and do his greatest work. And these are the ones that God is going to put his anointing on because they come to know and they've come to understand that they can do nothing without Jesus Christ. He wants no flesh to glory in his presence. I am here to tell you tonight that without Jesus Christ, this palace is nothing. We are nothing without the spirit and the presence of the manifestation of the Son of God. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise for who he is again. Lord, help me to preach what's on my heart. We here at the Palace of Praise have come from a place of low degree, whether you know that or not. In 1986, when we came to Popper Bluff, we were mocked. We were ridiculed. We were laughed at. We were despised because there seemed to be absolutely nothing on that little hill called Ninth and Cedar. I'll show you a picture of the church. This is the one that I could find off the cuff. There's where we started, 1986. And let me tell you, that's after we cleaned the building up right there. There is the beginning of this church right here. Look at it. Look where it's at in that picture. We were mocked. We were laughed at. That church was absolutely nothing in the eyes of Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We were in debt. Leave it up there, Steve. We were in debt over our heads with no money in the bank. The building was dirty. It was unkept. There were weeds that were over your head. Car parts all over the, all over the property. And that right there is a picture after many men have weed-eated and cleaned and scraped and done everything we could just to make the building presentable. There was no classrooms. There was no uh, facilities. Absolutely just a bare-bone hull of a building. As a matter of fact, by many, we were unknown. We were unheard of. We were non-existing. And after the Lord started moving, then guess what happened? We begin to get prophesied against, lied on, and even disgraced by other churches. And can I tell you to this day, some of the churches that begin to prophesy against us and give us the hardest time, fought our members and everything else, is closed to this very day. But it was there that God on Ninth and Cedar began to work his work in the midst of the most unlikely. And can I tell you, that work is still going on today. Nothing has changed. Are you with me here? Hang with me because God's want me to bring something home in this sermon tonight. I don't know what it is, but God is stirring in my spirit. Verse 2 also reveals that when Christ come, he will come unto the Father to fulfill his plan and to fulfill his purpose. Jesus came with a mission. Jesus came with an agenda. Jesus' mission was to do the will of him that sent him to finish his work. Jesus himself says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He had a mission. He had, a, he had an assignment given to him by the Father. Look at verse 2 again. But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he, Jesus, come forth unto me to be the ruler of Israel. Christ would come forth in keeping with the plan of God, and he would fulfill the Father's purpose. And it would happen through Bethlehem of Judah, the most unlikely. In order for us to understand this next point, I, you got to get this. We have to believe, you have to believe, I have to believe that God has still chosen us. 
He has called us and he desires to use us for his glory. Do you believe that? I said you are chosen. You are called. You've got an assignment. You yourself has been predestined by God to fulfill the purpose and the mandate of the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. If you believe that, just stand to your feet and just, I mean, give him praise. Get a hand clap. Hallelujah. You're part of the kingdom. Come on. You're a part of the kingdom. You're chosen. In the earlier days, it was very hard to believe that God would call us who was connected to that. It was hard to believe that God would have any kind of a purpose for a, a building on Ninth and Cedar in the middle of Poplar Bluff, Missouri. It was hard to believe that God could resurrect something like that. But we also in this 21st century in 2019 at the Palace of Praise, we got to keep believing that God has, God is, and God is still going to use us, equip us, empower us, and anoint us to fulfill his plan here in the region of Poplar Bluff, Missouri. How many believe that? To the majority of the Jews, the nation of Israel as a whole, rejected the Messiah that would come, who would be Jesus Christ. Yet God himself never gave up on them, and he still fulfilled his plan and worked his program among the Jews even though they had a bunch of disbelief. Because he moved and he found a small segment of common folk that he used to work and to fulfill his purposes. He did not use an army. He did not use the Sanhedrin court. He did not use the religious. He didn't use the Pharisees. He didn't use the Sadducees. He didn't use the scribes. He didn't use the doctors of the law. Jesus just found a small segment of common folk Jews, 12 men that he used to work his purpose. And most of them were fishermen. Can you imagine that? There was this small believing remnant that would birth forth the purposes of God so that Israel could return back to God and many would be redeemed, both Jew and both Gentile. God said, I don't want Israel to be lost. I don't want the world to be lost. He sent his son. His son had a mandate. Now his son had to fulfill that assignment. And the way he done it was look out 12 common men, some tax collectors, some fishermen, just common people, and say, you're going to work my plan. You're going to work my purpose. I look out over this congregation tonight. I said, God, why are you not preaching this to the masses on Sunday morning? And God said, don't despise the day of the small beginnings. You who know better than to despise it. I, you started with nothing. And the people that are here tonight are going to be recaptured in the vision of what I'm about to do. And I'm going to put my anointing upon them. And I'm going to put my spirit upon them. And I'm going to raise them up. And signs and wonders and miracles are going to be working through them. And I will Fulfill my purpose, saith the Lord of hosts. Hey, that means you who is here, you're a part of the plan and the scope of God. Are you listening? In Christ's day, it was the common man, the common fisherman, the tax collectors that he would use to turn the world upside down. 
We have to turn back to our beginning and understand that God is the one that has brought us this far. And we have to realize he has not aborted his plan. What God started way back on 9th and Cedar in 1986, he's still out to accomplish it. And we gotta, but we gotta remember who we are. And let me stop right here and get ahead of my notes just a little bit. Folks, and I'll say it again after a while, we have not finished, we have not arrived, we've only just begun. Are you ready? Amen? I remember that God told me way back when I first came to Ninth and Cedar as a young 22-year-old boy, walking in that church and looking at it, seeing the impossibilities, being completely overwhelmed by the debtness, no money in the church, no nothing. And I stood there and I thought, God, what in the world's taking place? And God says, I have lifted the mandate off of a church in town. The calling of that church to reach this area has been lifted and I have placed it upon this place. I remember that as clear as I can. I said, God, why did you lift the mandate? He said, due to their high-mindedness, their self-exaltation, and they become prestigious and they begin to trust in their money base, and they have forgot that it was me that had blessed, blessed, blessed them with it. And therefore, I have rejected them. And God raised us up out of the ashes, out of nothing but dust, and called us and gave us the ministry that we have right now. And let me say this, folks. You might not know this, but I've done the study on it. I found the logistics on it years ago. I had forgot about it until I found a little piece of paper in my office buried in, in, in one of my drawers and I picked it up and it had, the, it had that all laid out. When we went to Ninth and Cedar, known as my 844 Cedars, the actual address, and we called it Ninth and Cedar because it was at the crossroads. That was an old landmark of Popper Bluff. You know why it was an old landmark? For two reasons. Number one, it was placed in the very dead center of town in Old Poplar Bluff. Number two, it was on the highest at that time elevation of Poplar Bluff. And I looked at that and I thought, dear God, Ninth and Cedar was a landmark. It was a place that was placed right in the center of town on the highest elevation of town. And guess what it was built in? It was built in Miller's subdivision. Amen? And here is a little 22-year-old boy finding, trying to find out about Ninth and Cedar and going to the courthouse and doing study. And all of a sudden, I said, God, these things are not coincidental. You've got a plan and you've got a purpose. Well, guess what? The Lord let me go on a little journey here in the last little while. And I found out here we are, 30 years later, moved to a different building. Now we have a 65,000 square foot building over a thousand members, and we're blessed financially. Guess what else? With the shifting of the city limits, with the shifting of, of the town, we are now almost right in the center of town. Guess what? We're on the, one of the highest elevations of town. We're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Can I have an amen? I hear the Spirit of the Lord say to me, I hear the Spirit of the Lord say to me, 
Do not allow what happened to others happen to you. Stay humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and in due time he will exalt you. How many believe that? We have not arrived. We have not finished. We have not accomplished all there is to accomplish. We are not too big for our britches. The same God that has exalted us can also abase us. He can bring us down. We cannot afford to begin to trust in the works of our own hands, in our talents, in our abilities, and we cannot trust in the blessings that God has given us. Can I have an amen? God is still looking for a man and a woman and a church and a group of people, a a congregation that understands without Christ we're nothing. God's still gracing those that put their trust in him. Can I have an amen? Folks, the same God that has been with us for 30 years is the same God that wants to be with us for the next 30 years. But we have to understand that the longevity of this ministry and this congregation is going to be determined by our willingness to let God use us and to keep ourselves humble. It's in my spirit to warn us because I want to tell you why I'm warning you. I feel like we're about to go into a level in the spiritual realm and which we've never experienced before. We've experienced some great things. We've seen some phenomenal things. We've seen miracle. 33 years of ministry from Ninth and Cedar to here. Folks, we've seen miracles. Hundreds being saved. Thousands being moved upon. Healing's unbelievable. Come on. In 30 years, you have accomplished things as a congregation that's impossible to, to, to accomplish without the Holy Spirit. You and I have seen some marvelous things, but here's what the Spirit says. He says, don't become haughty. He said, what I'm about to do is I am going to do something in your midst that's gonna blow your mind. And the temptation upon you will be to become haughty. And we cannot become a prideful and an arrogant people and get an attitude that we're better than all the other churches and Christians or people. We have done well in the last 30 years, but I want to remind us, like I did way back in 86, all the way up to the time that we moved, we're in competition to no other church. Our goal, our aim, our purpose is to do the will who has called us and sent us and to finish his work. And we are to keep our eyes fixed on that mission and that mission only. We're not to try to compare what others are doing. We're not to listen to their criticism. We're not to listen to their praise. We're just going to stay focused on what God's called us to do. They can say that we're liberal. They can say we're legalistic. They can say we're too hard. They can say we're too contemporary. They can say this and they can say that and blah, blah, blah. It don't matter what they say. Our eyes are eternally fixed upon the purpose and the mandate of Jesus Christ and we and we only will give an account for that and it doesn't matter what the soothsayers say. I am determined to know Jesus Christ and his will and to fulfill his purpose while I have breath in my being. I shall rise up as the anointed authoritative part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall see the wonders of the majesty of the presence of the living God in our midst. Hallelujah. If you believe that, stand to your feet again and give him praise. Hallelujah. Yes. 
Come on, give him praise if you believe that. Hallelujah. Bear with me. I want to bear my burden tonight. We have to be dead to criticism. We have to be dead to praise. If I've said over and over because they're both deadly. If the devil cannot kill us through criticism, criticism, and believe me, he's tried for 30 years. He'll try to kill us through praise. He'll praise us to death. And I feel in my spirit that we have to keep the spirit that we possess from the humble beginning when we had nothing. Are you listening to me? I hear the spirit say, hang on. Protect yourself from the flattery of praise that is about to come your way. I hear it. It's been bothering me. I just feel that something in the heavenlies are about to break an outpouring, an overflowing's coming our way. And when it does, the enemy that's tried to criticize us for 30 years and stop us and could not do it, prophesy against us and could not do it, he's going to take a different approach. And I'm prophesying to you tonight. He's going to try to flatter you until you're puffed up in your ego, puffed up in an attitude that will literally stop the presence of God from operating in our midst because we'll be resisted. Can I have an amen? I feel like that we are going to get overwhelming recognition and eyes are going to be turned on us due to what is about to be meant. Not, not, no, the Lord corrected me on that. I forgot to change it. Not about what is about to happen. It's what's already started in our midst. This, this real men's rally, you know what I've heard all day? Praise. How it's changed people's lives. How great the palace is. How wonderful the people are. And I love to hear that, but I already see it coming. If we're not careful, are you listening to me? The very thing that God has trusted us with, the very thing that God has graced us with, the very thing that was birthed through a man and God placed it in his heart, we'll destroy it if we're not careful by allowing ourselves to be lifted up in this prideful ego that declares, look how great we are. and Look how better we are than everybody else. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, when we were there, there was no church in Popper Bluff any greater than what we were when we were there. And let me tell you, we're no greater now than what we were when we were there. Amen? But I hear Isaiah 60 come to, the, come to my mind over and over and over. It does it all the time. Put that up on the board. I'm going to slow down a little bit. Look at this. Arise and shine, for the light has come. The glory of the Lord's risen upon you. It's already started. may not feel it all the time. It's not about a feeling. It's about truth. It started. Brother Zach's been preaching a series, just got done with it in our youth department a few weeks ago about being the church, teaching his young people to be the church. We're seeing things happening that you and, you know, if I got up here and told you everything that was coming, calling in, it'd be amazing of what all's taking place in the church you don't know, you know anything about. And yet the Bible says, for behold, go ahead. Rise and shine for the light has come, the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, go on. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness to people. Is that not where we're at? Is that not where we're at? Did not Brother Tim talk about the culture of America? 
That's where we're at. I'm going to spend a lot of time there. But the Lord shall shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. This is a promise that God gave us several years ago. How many many remember me preaching a series on that? Nobody. Boy, I must have done a bad job. Amen? This is the mandate that is placed upon the palace of praise. Watch this. The glory of the Lord is going to rise upon thee. And it goes on and says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Gentiles, un-Jewish people, not Jewish people, are going to come to our light. A light's going to spring up upon us. They're coming from the north to the south, to the east, to the west. What else did he say? And the kings, rulers, come on, kings, are going to come to the brightness of thy rising. They're going to see it. They're going to watch us be exalted. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Go to the next one. Lift up your eyes round about and see all that gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy thy son shall come from afar and thy daughter shall be nursed at your right side. We can preach this. It's talking about multitudes are going to come into this place. Daughters that are going to be nursed, nourishment, discipleship's taking place. And then it goes on and says that sons from afar off, backslidden people are going to come back to Jesus Christ as a result of what's about to happen. But even though we are to recognize this, yet we need to approach it with gratitude instead of a prideful spirit. Remember, the only good in us is the good that Jesus brings. And outside of him, we're nothing. In order for God to continually work in us, like he, has in the next thir- like he has in the last 30 years, then we have to keep being the people that we've been in the last 30 years. Oh, yeah, sure, we got to grow. We got to expand. We got to mature. We got to change. But we're not to become haughty, arrogant, prideful, and become like the church of Laodicea, where they say, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Folks, look around us. We're blessed. Amen? You know what's so funny? I can remember going before the council and say I'm wanting to take a little bit of a leap of faith. Those of the council members that's in here know I'm a very conservative man. I get stretched by these people sometimes. Amen? And I walked in and we say, this is the amount of money that we say we're broke when we get to it. But I'm wanting to go beyond it just a little bit. We're right here. We got this certain amount of money here. But I'm going to step out on faith and start doing some remodeling. We need it. Our building's aging, and we got, we got to take care of the house of God. And it's going to get away from us, and when it gets away from us, we're going to be in serious trouble. Because 13 years we've been here, and there's a lot of wear and tear, and things has happened. And I said, we're fixing to maybe spend a little bit more and go underneath that, but we'll build it back up. Just be patient with me. And some of them said, well, let's... And I told them the cap. I said, when we get down to this cap, we'll, we'll lower the cap just for a season. And some of them said, well, let's lower it to this. Let's lower it to that. And I said, oh, my goodness, they're killing me. I said, well, let's just stick in the program. We started and we've spent somewhere over a hundred and some odd thousand dollars. I've not figured it completely up. We got about a hundred thousand more to spend, 140,000 more to spend. And we spent way over a hundred and some odd thousand dollars. And we got more in the bank now than when we started. Hallelujah. 
the favor of God. We never went under our cap. Not one time. As a matter of fact, we've almost got $170,000 more than what we started when we started the, the remodel. You realize that? As fast as we spend it, as fast as it comes in. I don't know why y'all ain't shouting. Dear God, you're not the one having to handle these finances every, every, every week. Are you listening to me? So God is showing us, I'm with you, move. Why is that elder so moved upon? Because he's the one that's been fighting with us, seeing the finances, seeing the reports, agonizing over them, praying over them, budgeting, pulling teeth, robbing Peter to pay Paul, moving this to move that, to make ends meet. He knows, he understands. And yet when I begin to see the mighty hand of God, not too long ago, I think it was in the month of February, I may have my dates, this wasn't in part of my notes and I didn't look up the exact dates, John Sills comes to me. We got air conditioning down. It's right here in the back. We got to replace it because it's causing mildew. It's causing this. We got to rip up all of the flooring. We got to get it all cleaned up. He gets a price on the flooring, and he gets a price on how much to lay it. He gets a price on how much to clean it up. We got to paint the walls. We got to do all this kind of stuff. And he said, and the air conditioning is going to cost somewhere around sixty-five hundred dollars for that area. And I thought, John, you're killing me, Smalls. We just got for the first time a positive report and then you're coming here and taking that positive report right out the window. I can't help it, Pastor. I said, well, get it done. We gotta get it done. That's what we gotta do. He gets it done. The next month, we get a positive report again. I think, how did, and we paint the bill. I said, how's that possible? Amen? Only for John to come in the next month. Pastor, we got another air conditioner out. It's the big one on top. It's gonna cost $10,000. John, quit coming into my office. Amen. And he's the type of guy, what is, he, he loves doing that to me. Ah, Pastor, we got more money than we have. Let's just spend it. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Get out of the rut. I said, he, just, he got more faith than anybody I've ever seen. But he drives me crazy with it. 
I'm going to put up do not disturb on my thing, John Sells. From now on, all reports from John Sells goes to Randy West. And every time I turn around thinking, man, we're just blowing out. Here comes him with this big list of things we need to do. This tore up, that tore up, this needs redone. That needs. Thank God for a maintenance people that care about the house of God. Amen. Him and Mickey and Kim Holloway and different. We're down here working all the time. Things you don't even you don't even have the idea. Mickey said to me the other day. He said people have no clue how much work goes on around this church. Amen. But God's with us. I don't know if they mind me saying this. I'll, I won't tell the names because they might not. They might not want me to. Got a call the other day and said, Pastor. I was in my living room and having my devotions and singing to the Lord and I had an encounter with God and God began to move upon me and tell me that our church needs to be debt free and I'm setting out to pray that God bring in the finances to pay this note off and then she said but I'm putting actions to my faith I'm going to contact my sisters my little group and I'm going to have a prayer war going on to pay it off. Well, God gave that to the to the pastor's councils, what, two years ago. And you know what? Out of the mouth of two or three, everything shall be established. You said you're putting, your, you're putting yourself out on a limb. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, you're going to see us pay our note off here before too long. And you're going to see us paying several thousands of dollars every month to interest. It's going to go into ministry. You're going to see land purchase. You're going to see buildings going up. You're going to see other churches being mothered. You're going to see all kinds of things starting to flow out of the palace of praise, church of God. Can I have an amen? You're going to see more things happening and more ministry opportunity in this body and from this body like you've never seen before. Oh, I hope I can finish this. We have, we are, and we always will be in need of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to that? Folks, I see it's an overwhelming abundance coming our way. I hear the abundance of rain like Elijah. I hear the stirring of the mulberries like Gideon. I hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind like the 120. I hear the voice of many waters like John the Revelator. What we've seen cannot compare to about what we're about to see. And I feel like what has taken us 30 years to achieve, more is going to happen in the next few years than all the 30 years combined. I believe that. Randy West has no idea what he's birthed this week. No wonder there's been so much turmoil in the fighting against this men's conference. There was a shift that took place that you're going to see next year what's going to happen. But, you, there's, but you've seen a shift take place that's about to bring a spirit of excellence and greatness to this church. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Randy West. But what's so unique about it is all of the sweat and tears, the pain, the travail, the work, the calluses, the failures, the mistakes, the grace that was granted to us in the last 30 years and all that we've accomplished we're going to accomplish more in the next few years than what we've done in 30 years all combined. I believe we're about to live what the promise Amos prophesied. Amos 9.13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine shall drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And the main theme is this. There's going to be an outpouring abundance of the Holy Spirit and the harvest is going to happen so fast that the planter and the sower can't even keep up. The moment that they plow the ground and plant the seed, when they step over it, boom, it's ready to be harvested right behind them. That's what it says. And says that the planter's not even going to be able to keep up because the harvest is going to happen so fast. That means that there's going to be a wave of the presence of God in conviction and in conversions so fast that we're not even going to know what to do with them all. Amen? I don't know if you believe this stuff. I believe this stuff. I'm a firm believer in it. The things that we're seeing, the moves of God that we're now entering into and experiencing, the miracles that's already been manifested and are being manifested, the supernatural that we're seeing on display, it's only going to get mightier and greater. But if we're not careful... The overwhelming excitement, energy, and feelings will be so great that we'll lose sight of who we are. We'll lose sight of our humble beginning. We'll lose sight of what caused it to happen in the first place. We will take for granted the harvest. We will be like the plowman and the sower of Amos. We'll get so excited about the harvest that we'll forget about planting, plowing, and working the fields. We'll just say, whoa, look at this. And we'll get so excited and wrapped up in what it's doing, we'll stop doing the things that's causing it to happen. Isn't that something? The very thing God blessed them with, and they just thought that the blessing, because it was overrunning them, they would just keep on no matter if they were doing it or not. But that's not true. We still have to plant. We still have to plow and nurture, even if it's harvested hours after we do it. And no matter who does what, some's going to water, some's going to plant, some's going to plow, Some's going to be in the limelight. Some's not going to be in the limelight. Some's going to get accreditation. Some's not. Some's going to get a pat on the back. Some's not even going to be noticed. That's the way it is. We're going to try to do our best, but regardless of what, the real test is going to come whether we're going to get puffed up, mad, or whatever, or hurt feelings, because I want to tell you something. Dead men have no rights, and if we get all bent out of shape of what does or doesn't happen to us in this process, then I want to tell you our hearts were not right because we were not a part of the agenda of God. We had our own agenda that we wanted to do. Amen. Is this all right tonight? Yes, we must acknowledge it, what God's doing. We must respond to it, but our response to it must be a one of appreciation, of gratitude, of exaltation, praise, worship, and thanksgiving to God. Amen. Started a few Wednesday nights ago. I don't know how many of y'all recognize this. I got to get away from my notes or we're going to be here too long. Kathy Powell taught a marvelous devotion about power. She used the illustration that she had Dusty, her husband, who's a car guy like me, having his truck, revving it up, boom, 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 and showing the engine and everything. And he looked up and Kathy said, what are you doing? And he said, that's power. That's power, and it is power. It's not as much power as a Mopar. It's a Chevy, but it, it's, it, that's anointed stuff right there. Oh, I feel the evil devil of resistance right there. It's coming from a ball-headed man right over here to my left somewhere. He's weird. He's a bow tie guy. You don't, you don't even know what a bow tie is, do you? It's best you don't know what a bow tie is. You won't be hanging around the upper elite if you go around hanging around with bow ties. 
I'm having fun right now. I'm meddling in people's business right now. But he said, that's power, that's power. And then Kathy throwed up these little kids praying and speaking in tongues and under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And she said, no, that's what power is. Amen. And when she showed that, people responded to prayer. And afterwards, I prayed, I don't know how long, and usually we pray and sometimes we get done 10 minutes early, whatever. But it was like 15 after or so when we got done praying and people wouldn't leave. It was quiet. They just sat in their pews. And you could feel the heaviness of the presence of God. And I heard the Lord said, it has begun. Tim Ophiel was sitting right over there this morning. He looked at me and said, my goodness, Pastor, what a presence here in this building. I got a note from a gentleman that sat right here on the front row. He said, dear Pastor, he come over to where I was at and he stuck it in my coat pocket and said, read this later. He said, dear Pastor, thank you so much to allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to be felt and manifested and experienced. And then he goes on and he says, believe me, this is not hardly anywhere left in America that's doing this. And he gives me this long thing and he signs his name. Please contact me. I'd like to talk to you. People are recognizing it. He's coming to church here and I don't know how far away it is, but I know it's at least 80 miles or close to it. And he said, I've searched and I've looked and I've even told him some churches in that area and he's, I've tried and he's came in here because he's hungry for a move of God. That's, that's a miracle. Do you not understand that God's bringing us people from far and wide, bringing us talent? When I get to know that man, there's going to be a talent in him that's going to help us to get where we're going. Just as the Christian world has to look back to the birth of Jesus and Calvary to understand their present victory, how many knows you have no victory without the birth and the cross of Jesus Christ? Even so, there are times that each of us have to look back and reflect on the time of our humble beginning and not forget how we needed him. Amen? We have to go back to the time of our new birth individually. We also have to go back to the birth of the church corporately. We have a whole generation. The Lord spoke to me and said, you have a whole generation in this church that has always experienced the church's blessings. I never thought of it. They've always had music. They've always seen gifts and talents. They've always had a teacher. They've had church bands. They've had music. They've had uh, all of the dramas. They've, you name it, they've had it. They've had air conditioning. I remember we didn't have air conditioning. Amen? Folks, I remember when we didn't even have toilet paper. And Sister Merriman would sometimes say, you're going to make an announcement for everybody to bring their own toilet paper? I said, no, I think I can afford to go out and buy some toilet paper. Amen? I'm not trying to be crude. That was a reality of where we were at. You can't go buy stuff when you've got a red figure in your checkbook. Amen? Back then we understood that we needed him. And that understanding brought us to our knees and it caused us to worship, pray, praise him and travail but we've done it in humility there was no music there was no teachers there was no 
classrooms. There was no money, no ministries, no vans, no chalkboard, no computer. Everything we had was wore out. Carpet needed replaced. Walls needed changed. Bathrooms were just completely gone to where the people wouldn't even use them. We had nothing, absolutely nothing. Didn't have no sidewalks out in front. We didn't. We, we literally had nothing. But we began to have God. We had humility before God, and we said, "We got to have Him. We can't do this." And God reminded me this week that His plan that was to be worked and His purpose that was to be fulfilled in the church is still upon us. And the way that we got to here is the same way that we got to go back and bring it to where it's at now to where it's going to need to be. And it was brought here through travail. Though Bethlehem would be the place that Jesus would be born, it would not be done without the cost of Mary's travail. Mary travailed. And the, the Bible says, and the remnant, I'm going to paraphrase this scripture, the remnant was remain lost until the time of travail, until she brings forth travail. In other words, God's plan was to reach them, but he couldn't reach them until there was travail by Mary who would bring forth the seed of the Son of God. And God spoke to me and said, there's a whole new remnant out there that, is, that you have not tapped into yet that is not going to be saved until you turn back to the spirit of travail. Until you go back to your humble beginning and say, God, we're at the same crossroads we were when we first started. There is a sea out there that we're not able to tap into. We have grown to this place and we're stalemated. We cannot go any farther until we recapture the spirit of our humble beginning. And then as we get under the humility and say, with this new culture, with this generational gaps, with all the different mindsets, God, how do we do it? Everybody's trying this and buying this book. And buying God said, throw all your books away for right now. I'll, I'll, I'll bring one up that you need. You go back to your beginning like you did from the very beginning. Started me, Rex Darnell, and a Baptist preacher by the name of Dennis Staggs worked at Gates Rubber Company together. And we got a burden. He got a burden for his church and me and Rex was burdened for Ninth and Cedar. We made up our minds we would fast every Tuesday. Every Tuesday we fasted. We prayed. Every Tuesday at four, we got off at 3.30. By four o'clock we would try to get to the church to an old house. Can you put that old house up there? I think I got it, a picture of it. See the whole white one to the right there where we're standing in front now that's the fruit of the travail in front of me there at, at later on. But when we first started, none of them kids were coming. There was nobody there. See that old what two-story house? Every day at four o'clock, you ought to go inside of it. Now that's after we cleaned it up. But we'd go inside that old house at four o'clock. We were committed every Tuesday after fasting all day, after hard work at a factory, and we would pray for one solid hour. And it was in that that God began to move. God filled the Baptist minister with the Holy Ghost in that old house. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean manifestations began to happen with just three of us. Tongues interpretation went out with just three of us. People were slain in the spirit with just three of us. You know it wasn't for show then. There wasn't no one to see you. 
The power of God was so strong that we would sometimes just sit there and couldn't say a word. We just wept. And then finally, that grew to five people. There was another guy that came. His name was, I can't, I've been trying to remember his name. The other one was Rick Campbell. You remember Rick Campbell? Five of us got there and we decided, okay, we're going to go from Tuesdays and keep that, but we're going to go now pray every Tuesday and every Thursday for one hour. So now every day after 3 or 30 at Gates Rubber Company after working all day, we'd jump in vehicles and we'd hightail it to that old house and we would begin to pray. Every Tuesday, every Thursday for one hour and sometimes it went way past the hour. It grew to eight people. One of them, Heather Wilcott, are you in here? I know she was on praise. Where you at, Heather? One of them was your father-in-law, Kenny, Baptist preacher. He heard about it at Gates. I want to be involved. Well, come on, buddy. Kenny gets filled with the Holy Ghost. He comes and he begins to intercede with us and he starts getting a burden for our church. And that's something. So now we're meeting every Tuesday and every Thursday for one hour. Now we got eight people and now we decide, hey, this is so wonderful. It was no longer a burden. It was a burden at the first, but all of a sudden it started turning into something different. It became a joy. And man, we couldn't wait for it. We'd be at work, hey guys, we only got an hour, man. And we'd be praying throughout the day and just excited and said, well, wonder what's gonna happen to that old house today. And we'd get to talking about it and we'd be crying at gates and man, we couldn't help it. So us eight men decided we're gonna do it every day, Monday through Friday, an hour after work. So an hour after work, we'd, be, we'd done it for two years and we sought the presence of God. And we were hungry and we travailed because we believed there was a purpose. And we could not believe in the purpose without the travail. The travail is what brought it all to light. It's what burdened us. It's what made us persevere. It's what pushed us. It's what drove us. And then all of a sudden, that right there began to happen. Look at all them little kids. That church didn't have no kids. Deanna Robinson was the youngest member of our church when I went there and passed her the next one. The youngest person was 55 years old. And there were seven of us. So Deanna was the youth of the church. Brother and Sister Kirby were there, right? And then all of a sudden, here they come. Here they come. People just started coming out of the woodwork. People were getting saved. Things were beginning to happen. And now here we are, 33 years later, with 1,000 members, a 65,000 square foot building sitting on a hill, and we've come to a place that we got to say we got to return back to the humble beginning to take it to the next level. We got to get under the burden. We got to seek the will of God. God's where we got the favor, guys. It's here. We got the favor. God's just waiting for the travail. And then when Mary travailed and she brought forth, then God, through her travail, caused 12 men to rise up to leadership and the remnant that was lost in Israel became saved. God just spoke to me and said, the vision that Randy West seen, the vision that you seen, of all the multitudes coming in, they're not going to come until you go back to your humble beginning and start the process of travail and get humble and understand you need me now more than you ever need me. And all of this that God has given us 
The abundance is so that we can reach an abundance. To whom much is given, much is required. The thousand that we've won in 33 years now that we're going to take the thousand and we're going to reach 30,000 within the next few years. How's that sound? Oh, now you're blowing it. I believe we can reach the world. I think we can turn the world upside down. I think we can fill Jerusalem and Papa Bluff with our doctrine. Amen? I think we can turn our world upside down. Would you stand with me, please? Is it all right to just kind of share my heart tonight? I'm asking you, do you sense the need to return back to them humble beginnings? Folks, we're so blessed, but if we're not careful, we'll start putting all of our confidence in all of this stuff right here. Sometimes I, I you know, the other night, I, don't, don't play nothing just yet, John, but I do want you to come up. The other few weeks ago, uh, something got into our electric. You remember that? Randy was preaching that night. And we didn't have no electric, and they had to try to get the music up, and they got one little old, I think you played with an acoustic guitar, didn't you? That's all we had. And I, all of a sudden, I thought, wow, all of that music's gone. Not that it's not beautiful and important, and it is, and it's helped us to get where we're going. It's going to help us to get where we're going even more. But that night, I thought, I think God orchestrated that just to show us not to be putting trust in all that stuff. I remember when we had none. I remember Sister Nell's getting up and saying, I'm, I'm healed because, how did it go? I am, I, that, I, know, I know that I am because I am says I am. I know that I'm healed because I am says I'm healed. I know that I'm blessed because I am says I'm blessed. And she was an old lady and she had a quivering voice. And she'd get up and she'd get to singing that and we'd get to cry. No music, just her and a handful of people out there I am, says I am, so I am. I am, says I am, so I am. You say, that sounded terrible. Well, that's the way it sounded. I am, says I am, and I know that I am. That was our worship. But God moved. <laughs> oh, did he move. You really go back to the humble beginning, and we got to teach our young people. They don't know what it's like to not have nothing. You got to have lights, and you got to have, you know, I don't think the young people need the lights as much as we think they need the lights. We got the lights, we need the lights, we want the lights, we want to stay relevant, but we can't put our trust in all that stuff. It's got to be done by the Spirit of God. It's got to be done by the Spirit of God. It's got to be through that travail of men and women, not just a handful like we had at the beginning. But God's saying, I've raised you up to be a mighty church. Now take the mighty weaponry that I've given you and use it properly. Go back to your humble beginning and stay humble and recognize that it is the blessings that I've given you that's causing it to happen. It's the result of you being the people that you are supposed to be and the blessings came as a result of that but it's I who give the increase amen some water, some plant, some sow, some give their talents, whatever but it's God that gives the increase without him our talents are in vain our giftedness is voided out it's negated we gotta have him would you come around the altars with me for a little bit all of you wonderful, magnificent palace of praise people I wish I could have finished this message.